You got a Bible with you this morning. We're in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're continuing on with our series, Mark, Faithfulness to the King at All Costs today. Uh, so if you've got a, a Bible, we're in the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 2 today. So I hope that you will uh, turn there and follow along with us. I need, to, uh, I need to make a confession today, which I don't think is going to make me very popular in this place amongst my fellow brethren. This is really hard to say. I'm not going to be... I'm not gonna be uh, I'm not going to be popular after this, I don't think, uh, which, is, which is crushes me. <laughs> I may watch too much HGTV. <laughs> I may watch too much Home and Garden Television. To be fair, I've spent the last 18 years of my life with three women in my house, so... I'm a little over, I'm a little uh, outvoted when it comes to uh, the remote sometimes. And so I find myself, and you know how these things are, they design these shows. I, guys, I'm just telling you, if you, never, if you never watch these, they design these things and they suck you in. And then, and then you just have to know which house they're going to pick. You know, you just have to know what's the room going to look like when she finishes it. So I, I will confess today that I have probably watched too much HGTV. If you feel like you need to take my man card after the service, we can meet out in the foyer and, or maybe out by the bike racks and uh, we can duke it out a little bit. I don't know. How do I know I watch too much HGTV? You say, how, how do I know? Men, if this is you, maybe you'd like to join me. Maybe you'd like to confess with me. Maybe you'd like to join the brotherhood of men who watch too much HGTV. How do you know if you are inflicted with this? Well, the first thing is you know the difference between the Property Brothers twins. <laughs> you, can tell the you can tell the difference between Jonathan and Drew, right? You know which one wears flannel and which one wears a suit. <sighs> Sadly to say, I, I checked that box. Second, second thing that you, could, you, you would need to look at is this reality that um, when, uh, then when one of those shows is on, uh, you might be guilty of saying, uh, no, we, we can turn it. I've seen this episode. <laughs> That's bad. Bad. Sunday afternoon. We get home. Shoes come off. HGTV usually comes on. Fixer upper. Nah, nah, we can change it. I've seen this one. No, I don't think I've seen this one. No, I'm pretty sure we've seen this one. Um, here's the other reason I know. My broken shower door that uh, it broke into like seven billion pieces on my bathroom floor. Um, a broken toilet, a broken light fixture, and I could go on and on of all these projects that I thought that I could tackle because I watch HGTV. And the reality was I should have called the pros, right? Um, if you need to know about the shower door incident, that's a whole other thing. We can, we can talk about that afterwards, too. But here's the thing. I think today, you, you, probably, read this, uh, you probably read this story before. It's a, it's a flannel graph classic. So if you, if you grew up in the days of flannel graph, you definitely had the guy being lowered uh, in front of Jesus. And you, you got all the, the different things there uh, that was going on with flannel graph. But these guys watch, I'm convinced that these guys watch too much HGTV too. They, they, they thought that the best way to do something was to completely destroy it. 
And, uh, and as we're going to see, uh, <laughs> they, were, they, they succeeded. They succeeded, didn't they? So let's look at this passage. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered Capernaum. And after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there were no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was and they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemes like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his heart that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your home. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. This is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? It's no wonder it's a flannel graph classic because there's, there's everything that you could imagine in this story. So many truths that, that we could unpack here today. So let's kind of walk through the narrative here for just a second. And then let's look at a couple of truths that we can dig from this. And then let's, let's see what it means for, for us. So what is going on here? Jesus, we, two weeks ago... We found that Jesus healed a man of leprosy. And he did something strange at the end of that healing. He said to the man, hey, here's what I need you to do. Go and show yourself to the priest, but don't tell anyone what happened. That seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? Why, why was he supposed to not share this with anyone? Well, it's hard for us to imagine, but... Jesus has a plan, right? He's working on the Father's plan here. And so he tells him, this isn't the time. Don't, don't tell anyone this. And what really happened was, the next couple days, Jesus just gets bombarded with all of these people. All of these people coming to him. He can't, can't walk down the streets of Capernaum without uh, people coming up to him. He can't, he can't go anywhere. He can't go to his favorite restaurant. Too many people. He can't, he can't go anywhere. The paparazzi is driving him crazy. So he decides to go out into the wilderness for a little while. And even there it says that people would find him. And so finally he just decided, hey, it's time for me to go back to Capernaum. And so he comes back. And before he can even unpack his bag and start the laundry, right, people are coming over to the house. And, and in Jewish culture, this would have been quite common. As long as the door is open, you're welcome to come in. 
And people were coming in, and you can imagine, Jesus, where have you been? What's been going on? How are your travels? How are people responding to the message? Right? People are walking by, and they're coming in, and they're looking inside, and they're seeing that Jesus is back. Someone brings their child, and it's like, hey, um, my, my child is having problems. Can you, is there something that you can do? Can you touch him? Can you heal him? Right? People are coming by, and they're going, Jesus, when are you coming back to speak at the synagogue like you used to do? We're so excited to hear you. And before you know it, the house is full of people. So many people that there's, there's people streaming out the door. They can't get in. There's people craning at each window to hear what's happening inside, to see if they can see Jesus, if they can catch a glimpse of him or, or hear a word that he's speaking. And you can imagine this scene. It's probably pretty incredible. I mean, Capernaum was a decent-sized town at that time, but it's, we're not talking about, like, Katy. It wasn't like people were pouring out of uh, Proud Pie, and everyone was like, oh, my gosh, and people were... And, you know, that probably wouldn't have been a blip on our radar, but look, here in Capernaum, there's people pouring out of, of, of Peter's and Andrew's house, and, and people start to talk. Things start to get a little crazy. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, right? He begins to teach. He begins to teach them. He begins to reason from the Old Testament back to where he is. He begins to try to teach them that he is the Messiah. That for thousands of years since the garden, God has, has planned this out. And, and here's, here's Jesus. Here he's standing there saying, I'm, I'm this guy. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And he's teaching them and he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. And it must have been quite a sight for him to be back home, for him to be teaching. And then in verse 3, something interesting, we see a twist in the story. It says, Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So here you've got four guys and a makeshift stretcher and their friend who's paralyzed. And they're bringing him to this house that's overflowing with people. And they have this belief that if they could just get their friend to see Jesus, if Jesus, if he could just be at the feet of Jesus, if Jesus could just see him, they had, they had this incredible faith, this trust that Jesus was who he said he was and that he would, he would do something that only he could do. And so they're bringing their friend on a stretcher. And they get to the house, and you can almost see this play out, right? And Mark, Mark, Mark may need to work on his imagination a little bit here, or our imagination, because this is the way he describes it. He says, then... When they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. Now, I, without, without, without ruining this, right? I mean, I have a feeling that there's a little more going on here than just exactly what Mark wrote, right? You can imagine what's happening. I mean, these, these guys are carrying their friend and they get to the door and they see that it's kind of full. And so they're like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, can we get through? And people are like, what are you doing? And they're giving them dirty looks. And so they're like, okay. 
And then they go around to the window and they're like, maybe we can get him through the window. There's a window on this. Let's go over to this side. Okay, yeah. And they try to get the, the houses. They were so close together. There was just a little space and there's people trying to crane in the window and they're trying to get their friend around. But again, it's so crowded. They can't hardly even make it through. They make it through to the back of the house and there's no, there's no room back there. There's people standing back there craning at the back door, hoping to hear what Jesus is saying. And they're trying to push their way in, but I can't imagine how many dirty looks they received. Hey, buddy, we've been here for a while. What are you doing? Can't you see I'm trying to hear here? And it's about then that you understand how special these guys are. Because it's about now that they would have, most people would have just said, okay, let's, let's just gather up here, guys. We've got to figure out what, what the next plan is. And so they, they gather up and, and where you would expect them to start going, okay, yeah, maybe we can bring him back like tomorrow or something. I don't know. Are you guys free tomorrow? Oh, I got to work tomorrow, man. Well, but okay, let's, or, 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 hey, hey, um, listen, my sister knows Andrew's wife. And so I think we could like, maybe they could talk and we could get like a meeting with Jesus and we can bring him back then. Maybe that would be easier. That's the kind of thing that you would expect to hear, right? But instead, they're, they're still trying to figure this thing out. They're trying to figure out how they're going to get their friend in front of Jesus. And when they think they, they just should quit, they look down at their friend and he's looking up at them like, please, come on, I know if I, can just, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just get in front of Jesus. And so someone in the, in the audience or in the group there, probably the... Uh, Probably the least likely of the four guys says, I got an idea. There's always the roof. <laughs> Charlie, you're so funny. The roof. Yeah, right. And then they start going off on a couple other ideas. And then someone says, you know what? Maybe the roof's not, not such a bad idea. And Charlie's like, yeah, I told you. And they start concocting this plan. Now, before everyone under the age of, like, 12 starts thinking about how they can get up on their roof and dig through into their family room, let me just, let me just dispel any myths here, right? So the roofs of a first-century house in Capernaum were flat. In fact, they, they often used it for extra space. Sometimes they would even try to grow grass up there so that they could send their animals up there and graze. The, the, the roofs were flat and they had these beams that would go across. And then in between these beams, which are about three foot across or three foot uh, space, they would make up some mud and some palm leaves and some ash from the fire that was left over and some leaves, whatever else they could find. And they would mix it into this nasty mud pie and they would put it in between each of the slats. And then they would make some more mud with clay and they would spread it on top of it. They would shroud it on top of it. And for a while, it would be waterproof. For a while, right? And so the men hatched a plan. We'll get up on the roof. We'll figure out exactly where Jesus is in the house. We'll take up that section in between the beams and we'll lower our friend down. Now, that sounds... Like a really good plan on paper, doesn't it? And so the four men get busy. And you can imagine how hard it was to get their friend who's paralyzed up a ladder 
or a, 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 a flight of stairs on the side of a house. You can imagine, right, them trying to make sure that he doesn't go toppling to the ground while they're trying to get him up on the roof. And then if you can picture this, you're in the house and you hear some scratching up on the roof and you start to wonder what's going on and then a piece of mud falls and another piece of dirt falls and you're like, what is going on? You don't want to like disrupt Jesus, but you're like, something is going on here, right? And then there's more that keeps falling. And if you're Peter and Andrew and your house is getting destroyed, you're probably like, what in the world is going on? And all of a sudden, there's a ray of sunshine that comes through the house, through the roof. And this hole begins to open up even wider now because now it's easier as they, as they get a bigger and bigger hole. And pretty soon, this man on a stretcher is being lowered in the middle of the house right in front of them. And we get the, we get the, the, the implication here that Jesus is pretty unfazed. Like, he's just still teaching. It doesn't say he's freaking out. He's like, hey, guys, could we do this another time? Or, or uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, he's not brushing the mud out of his hair. And it's pretty incredible, isn't it? That these four men concoct this plan. And they lower their friend down in front of the one, the only one that they believe can help their friend, the only one that they believe could make a difference. And what does Jesus think of this? I mean, as they're lowering him down and you're seeing right in front of you this incredible illustration of friendship and ingenuity and endurance of these friends, what does Jesus call it? Jesus calls it faith. He says when he sees, the Bible says, when he sees their faith. When he sees that they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. That they had power, that they believed that he had power to do for them what no one else can do. And then they acted on it with powerful conviction. He says that's faith. I always thought when I read this passage before that when he said that he saw their faith, that he was particularly speaking of the four friends. In fact, I, I've been guilty of preaching this passage as simply a passage about how uh, we, should, we should do anything to get our friends in front of Jesus. But there's actually nothing in the passage there that leads us to believe that the, the paralyzed man didn't share their faith. That he wasn't in on it. He wasn't fighting them the whole time. He was saying no, right? He, wasn't, he was saying, do what, don't stop, please. I think Jesus is the, the only way that I'm going to find healing, that I'll become whole. And I think that's why Jesus looks at him initially and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Man, I guarantee you, no one in the room thought that that's what Jesus was going to say. Everyone in the room was bracing for, get up, take your mat and walk. And then they would all be like, yes. And then they could all go home to their uh, jobs the next day and talk about it with their friends. Did you see what Jesus did? We were, I was on the front row. I was right there. 
And there was, the, there was this guy, and he came down, and he was paralyzed. And then Jesus said, get up, take your mat, and walk. And then he got up and walked, and it was awesome. And they were all thinking that's what he was going to say. And instead, Jesus does what Jesus does, which is throw us a curveball. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I guarantee you there was a group of people in that room that day who didn't think he, he was going to say that. Because for the first time in Mark's gospel, we see the scribes show up. Luke tells the story and he adds that they were, they were scribes and Pharisees and that they were from all over. That they had started to hear about Jesus and they had to come and check it out. And honestly, at this point in the, we kind of know how this is going to turn out. But really, like this was a good thing at the time. Jesus needed the scribes and the Pharisees to to trumpet his, his messiahship. They needed him, them to buy in. They needed them to see what was happening and go, yes, we've waited all these years and finally. And then all of the, the Jews would get on board. And so they weren't, they weren't here necessarily, at least we can read into it that they had other motives, but, but at the very beginning here, we, we would say they're here doing what they were supposed to do because if Jesus were a mere man and he did tell somebody your sins are forgiven, that's blasphemy, isn't it? They should have protected the nation from him. The problem wasn't that they were there. The problem is that they didn't want to see him for who he was. They didn't want to recognize him as anything other than a man. And now, Jesus being Jesus, before anyone can say anything, Jesus says, hey, why are you guys reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or arise, take up your mat, and go home? Well, this question is where the flannel graph part of the story gets a little tricky, doesn't it? What does that mean? Jesus answers the question with a question. First of all, classic Jesus. And he says, which is easier? Forgiveness of sins or healing of physical body? Well, what's the answer? For the longest time, I couldn't have told you. Neither of them are easy. I can't do either of them, so... Letter C, none of the above. But here's the thing. If you don't know me and I don't know you and I'm claiming to be somebody and I say, your sins are forgiven, when are you going to know if I'm right? Not for a really long time probably, right? You may never know. It's impossible to prove if I'm right or not. So anybody could go anywhere and say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. And everyone would be like, okay, I don't think that you can forgive sins, but can't prove you can't. So what does Jesus say? Which one is easier? Well, he doesn't give us the answer necessarily. He says, hey, which one of these things is easier? And then he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man, which was a term that every scribe in the room would have known that he was claiming Messiahship, has power, 
that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns to the paralytic and he says, your sins are forgiven. No, that's not what he says, right? He says, arise, take up your mat and go to your house. And immediately the guy takes up his mat and does what everyone thought he was going to do like five minutes ago, which was take up his mat and walk out. Immediately, because he had faith. It's amazing, isn't it? The Bible says the people were amazed. They were astonished. Man, this, this account would leave all of us amazed. This is why this is the flannel graph classic, right? It's full of everything that we want in a story on a flannel graph. Twist at the end. Right? Cool pictures, a funny idea, men breaking through the roof. So what, are, what, what, do we, what do we take from this? What does it mean for us? First of all, I think it shows us this incredible power and presence of community. Because even though the main part of this story, the main thrust of this story isn't like, hey, four guys did everything they could to bring their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. That's not the main point of the story. But it can't be ignored, can it? It's huge. These guys wouldn't take no for an answer. They, they, they were willing to go to any length to help their friend. This is the kind of community that we, that we want every believer to have, right? How many of you could say, I got four friends. I got four guys. I got four ladies who would do anything to get me in front of Jesus if I needed it. It's particularly hard for men, isn't it? How many of you guys say, I have four friends. I got four guys that if they knew that I was in dire need, that they would do anything to get me in front of Jesus. You know, we got a women's retreat coming up. It's no, it's no uh, accident that the theme of the women's retreat is known, developing Biblical friendships. Men, next Sunday, we're having a, we're having a, a men's breakfast next Sunday. We're going to unroll some ideas that we have for you to help you develop biblical friendships. And it's not, this isn't, this isn't even like something that we, we would say, oh, this is, this is nice, but I mean, you can do without it. I mean, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Paul calls out the Romans and he says, hey, this is a command, this is an imperative. It's essential that you figure out how to love each other in community, that you have affection for one another, that it's not a job. This isn't, this isn't a duty. This is something that you love to do. And then you would show these people this honor, this, this preference, sacrificing for them. If you, don't have, if you don't know how this works, if you're new, if you just walked in today, let me, let me give you a place to start. Next week, if you decide to give us another try, come at, at 9.30 to one of our life groups. This is the, that's the starting line where you can find people, like-minded people, who want to develop this kind of relationship with you. And there's a perfect starting line there that's called life group. And you'll have to go from there. There are many things that life groups do to try to, to help 
uh, spur on biblical community. But that's a great starting place. And if you don't know how to do that, we, we have a great group of people who kind of set up shop right in this corner of the Welcome Center. And they would love to help you find a life group where you can get plugged into and where you can start building biblical community. And you can see its power worked out in your life. I want to point out, though, that there's another kind of community that's, that's unfortunately here, too. And that is that there's a crowd of people in this house, right? There's a crowd of people who is acting in such a way that, they are, that they're actually keeping this man from getting to Jesus. Now, I don't think there... It, sometimes it's not even necessarily a, a conscious thing. But if we're not careful... Whereas we would love to be one of the four people who's bringing someone to Jesus, someone who really needs it to Jesus, we have to keep in mind that, that sometimes we're more like the crowd. Sometimes we're more focused on what we need. Sometimes we're more focused on getting what, what we want. In Philippians 2, Paul tells the Philippians, let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Right? But in humility, consider others needs above your own and this goes i'm not even talking about worship style this isn't about worship style or anything like this this is about monday morning and what i see in my coworker who i know is struggling this is about thursday afternoon when i sit down next to my friend in class and this is about how i respond in those situations this is about what it looks like in, in my life group when, when we've begun to, to get the waters of biblical community going and, and a new couple comes in and we ask ourselves, what do we do now? How do we, how do we work this? So don't, don't let yourself get hung up, right, on being the crowd in the midst of this. Be careful of your mindset. The second huge thing, and I think this is the main point of the entire text, is the power and authority of Jesus. I mean, the heroics of these four men are great. That's awesome. We should, we should celebrate that. We should be like, yes, that was great. Go to any lengths. Bring your friend to Jesus. But the reality is, the most important thing here is that without Jesus, those four guys' efforts would have been in vain. We need to understand and understand like the scribes needed to understand that Jesus is the ultimate power and authority here. He's the one that we should be celebrating. He's the ultimate hero in the story, right? And so we look at this and we say, okay, in Mark so far, we've seen Jesus cast out evil spirits. We've seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. We've seen him cleanse a leper. We've seen him release a number of people from spiritual bondage. We've seen him heal a number of other people, nameless people at this point. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to authenticate his teaching by healing the sick and freeing the captives. Exactly what Isaiah said the Messiah would do. And he's illustrating the truths of his word with a demonstration of power over disease and over demons. The problem was not everyone was getting it. And so here was a chance 
to show these religious leaders who were in the room for the first time, asking themselves, is Jesus really worthy of our attention, our affection, our worship? And Jesus does something unexpected. And that is he gave the man laying in front of him who was paralyzed exactly what he really needed. The forgiveness of sin based on his faith. Everyone expected that there would be healing. But Jesus assured eternal life. He gave him something more than the use of his limbs. He gave him everlasting joy and purpose in his creator. And that was what he really needed. And it's what the scribes really needed. And it's what we really need. And often we we drift into thinking that our faith is ultimately about a better family. Kids that, that that will grow up good kids. We think that it, it's, it's all about, you know, the, the, the blessing of a great job where we can support our families or all these, these other things. And the truth is that those things are just, those are just uh, spackling. Those are just overflow onto what's really important here. And that is that Jesus can free us from sin. Right? These blessings, we would call them reflections of something greater. Even to the point of talking about things like peace or comfort or courage or endurance or freedom. These are just byproducts or what's happening in your heart and your soul. Whether you're a picture of health or you struggle every day with the chronic illness. When we put on our faith in Christ, everything changes. Right? This isn't about going from good to bad or from bad to good. This isn't going, this is, this is like going from death to life. This is like going from captivity to freedom, right? And Jesus wanted people to see that, that this offer is so much more. It's so much greater than just physical healing. He has more, he doesn't have just power over disease and demons. He has power over eternity, the scribes, they're not impressed. And so they push back, right? You can't do that. You can't say that. And so Jesus takes the bull by the horns, doesn't he? He says, you're right. Not everyone can say that. Not everyone can do that. What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, take up your mat and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you'll never know if I'm right or not. But if I say to this man, take up your mat and walk, and he's still on the floor, there's no way either of those things are true, right? And so before he even finishes the thought with the scribes, he tells the man who has had his sins forgiven, son, take up your mat, arise, take up your mat, and go home. And because the man had faith and his sins were forgiven, what does he immediately do? Take up his mat and go home. And Jesus drops the mic. If I can do that, if that's true, if I can do that, then this over here, the harder thing, is surely true as well. 
And how does the people respond? How should we respond? Well, they're amazed. I would share that. They're astonished. They're overwhelmed. The Greek word here is also translated insane. They were out of their minds. They couldn't believe it. Let me ask you this. When's when's the last time you've allowed yourself to be amazed at the power of God? When's the last time you just couldn't believe something that you saw, but understood it to be the gracious gift of a heavenly father? You know, you don't have to keep it buttoned down all the time. I feel like in our world today, there's this unwritten thing. You got to keep it buttoned down, man. Keep it under control. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, look at this. Well, you just sat there and watched a man who hasn't walked, walk. And he walked out of here a new person because his sins were forgiven. But look, at, look what the other thing is. Because I think a lot of people could read this and be like, well, they were just amazed at the, the four friends who, you know, they were amazed at what they saw. It was just cool. It was just really awesome. It was like YouTube worthy. You know, this is going to go viral, man. I was there. But it says that they, particularly that they glorified God because of it. They were amazed... They weren't amazed by the men. They were amazed at what God did. And they directed that amazement towards God. They glorified him. That means to ascribe value to something. To recognize the worth of something. They didn't recognize the worth of the men. They recognized the worth of the Savior that was standing in front of them. The Messiah was who he claimed he was. And they glorified God because they saw him... In the person of Jesus. And we need to do the same. We need to allow ourselves to be amazed. Because God has all power and authority. Demonstrated in his ability to cast out demons. In his ability to heal disease. In his ability to forgive sin. And we need to be amazed and then we need to let that amazement cause us to ascribe worth to him. To show him in all the things that we do in his life that his way matters to us. That his opinion is the number one thing that we are going for. I love that song, Yes I Will. Right? We ascribe worth to God in the person of Jesus Christ. When we say, yes, I will, Jesus. Yes, I will. Help a friend. Yes, I will. Take a step out in faith. Yes, I will. Do something I've never done before to glorify your name. Yes, I will. Read the Bible for the first time. Yes, I will. Pray for the first time. Yes, I will. And that's how we ascribe glory to our Heavenly Father. Pray with me today. I hope that today, maybe, maybe there's something that you've been thinking of where you will be, you'll allow yourself to be amazed today. You'll allow yourself to let that amazement then drive you to glorify 
our Heavenly Father. Lord, thank you. Your word is so rich. Lord, thank you for the power that you have and the power that was shown here. Lord, we see this and we know that your power, your incredible ability to do so much more than we could ask or imagine is incredibly on display in this passage of Scripture, this incredible account. And Lord, I pray that that would help us. I pray that that would challenge us to this reality. That you are powerful right now in this very place. You're powerful in our lives. Beginning with, with turning our lives to you and recognize you as Lord. And, and, and experiencing the forgiveness of our sin. All the way to experiencing just the overflow of that on so many areas of our life. You are powerful in this place today. And so God, as we stand in a moment, as we sing, Lord, we don't want to just sing words to you. We want to respond to you. We want to ascribe to you value. And so Father, whatever you are calling us to do in this place, as we ascribe to you value, we pray that we would give you an unreserved, yes, I will. Lord, thank you for doing all that you do. And it's in your power and in your glory that we want to revel today. Amen. Amen. Stand at this time. We're going to sing together a song of response.